Hello, this is Nick Augustine here with attorney Mark Scroggins of Scroggins Family Law, serving Dallas, Collin, and Denton counties. This is the Scroggins Family Law podcast series featuring news and information in Texas divorce and family law. Hey, Nick, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I got you on there. All right. Well, um, I am ready to talk about post-holiday divorce. Um, just well, wanted right. to go through again some of the things that we're going to you know, run down here. Uh, why sure. people get divorced. Finding a Dallas divorce lawyer you trust. Why January is a good month. And planning your year around divorce. So let's jump right into <laughs> why people get divorced. And, you know, around the holidays, it's stressful for people. And, you know, they might wonder, is this really something I want to do? Um, they might be motivated by all sorts of things, including family violence, drug abuse, cheating, or maybe they just fell out of love and it's not benefiting anyone and the kids aren't unhappy. Well, yeah, it can be it can be a, a whole host of those. I mean, I have my own theories as to to why it happens. I think, um, you know, with having Thanksgiving and and Christmas, you know, so close together, I think what happens an awful lot of the time is people look at the holiday season, so to speak, and say, okay, I'm giving it one more shot through the holidays. And, you know, if he or she doesn't shape up or, you know, it's another crappy holiday, I'm done. And I think that's what happens. Um, and it can be for any one of those reasons that that you mentioned. Another one, another huge one, and actually the leading cause of divorce uh, that you you didn't mention there is financial you know, uh, people are in financial stress or someone's a big uh, saver, you know, someone's really frugal and someone, you know, maxes out every credit card he or she can get, you know, her, his or her hands on. Uh, those are things that all play into it. And at that point, you know, I think people kind of get through the holidays and get the kids back in school and are like, okay, I'm out of here. You know, I need to do what is right for, for me and, and the kids if the kids are involved. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing when we talk about money, and um, you know it's very easy to not talk about money because it's it's maybe hard for people to admit that that really is uh, an important thing. And I know there's a lot of times uh, I've seen people getting divorced because you know one of the one of the parties is self-employed and they started a business, and it's like, all right, honey, this is the year that this is going to go great, and it just never seems to take off. And you might have people saying, well. You got married, you know, from now to death to you part, and why should you let money get in the way? But it is a reality. Well, it is. And, I mean, you know, financial security is something that is, is huge uh, to, to both genders, both male and female genders. I think, um, you know, if you have one, you know, if anybody is a stay-at-home, stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, um, and they are completely relying on that other person to, uh, you know, bring home the bacon, so to speak. You know, that can be terrifying if, if you don't have any control over the situation, if you don't, you know, you're not making any money. So, you know, let's say, you know, it is the tradi- in a traditional gender role situation where, you know, moms stay at home and, and dad's out there working, doing whatever he does. Well, dad's going to be the one who's going to control you know, if he's got a direct deposit, where that direct deposit's going to go. If he's got a 401k, how much of a contribution is being made? Is you know what what's happening with a match? Does he have stock? You know, have stock options? Is there, uh, you know, is is there a pension? You don't run into that a whole hell of a lot anymore. But you know, sometimes you get lucky enough to to have them. But 
pretty rarely now, but you know other uh, you know profit sharing plans and things of that sort. And so that person maintains the control over um, you know over the financial end. And for somebody who is a who is a stay at home and doesn't you know isn't making their own money so to speak, which is really a bit of a misnomer, especially in Texas with it being a community property state. Um, but there is the fear of I can't afford to get a divorce. You know, I might really want to, I might really need to, uh, but I can't afford it. And so people get paralyzed with fear, um, thinking that I'm stuck. And that is just a, that's a horrible situation because it, you know, most people are not, uh, you know, Johnny Chan, the great, the great poker player, you know, and have that poker face of, oh, hey, everything's fine. You know, and generally your spouse or the kids are going to understand that, um, you know, something's up, that something's not right. You know, mom or dad is, is you know, acting funny. They're on edge, uh, you know, and and kids pick up on that, you know. Hell, animals pick up on that kind of stuff, and everybody, you can, everybody starts reacting, and you can, you can create a real toxic, toxic situation. Absolutely. You know, one thing that we, well, first, uh, just a general statement that it's always easy to tell people or suggest to your friends and family what they should do. It's another thing to right. walk in the person's shoes. So while we have, may have a lot of people in our ear. Take them all for a grant, you know, take them for what they're worth, collectively understand, but you're the one who has to live your life, and you're the one with future years that you need to get through things. So just having said that, one of the things, Mark, that we haven't talked about a lot um, when you talk about someone who says, I don't know if I can afford to get the divorce, is the uh, concept of interim attorney's fees and in situations right. where you can ask the other side to pay some of your fees. How does that work? Right. Well, interim fees is something that is is commonplace in in divorce actions, uh, especially high end divorce actions, where you know there's a there's a lot of money there um, because it, it takes into it takes into account that one person you know is one person is is working and the other person is working in the home, um, you know, but one is one is compensated and one is not. So the the idea is that both parties should be paid out of, or both parties' attorney's fees, I should say, you know, should be paid out of funds that are available to the community estate. And that can be done in a number of different ways. You know, maybe you've just got it sitting there in a checking account. Maybe you've got it in a savings account or money market account. Or maybe you even have to go in and take a loan against 401k or liquidate some, you know, some different positions or something to do that. But what a court is going to do, and this typically is going to happen at a temporary order hearing, and, and you know, a lot of the time it, it's going to happen uh, you know, without the necessity of that. And that's where, you know, one of the things I will always tell my clients is I hope your, you know, hope your husband or hope your wife goes out and gets the best attorney that they can afford because, you know, we're going to be able to come to a common ground on something. Uh, and especially, you know, when you get to the issue of interim fees, because the court isn't gonna, is not going to starve you out. Uh, you have to jump through some hoops to be able to prove that there is a need and you have to be able to prove that there is a source to be able to get the funds. But if you can do that, then it's, you know, you're going to get something. The question is, is how much and when, and, you know, is it a, is it, you know, you get paid when the other lawyer gets paid? Is it something in a big lump? And it just depends on, on the complexity of the case. What, what are the issues that are involved? I mean, you know, sometimes it's 
relatively small because the court has taken a wait-and-see attitude, and sometimes, you know, it's Katie barred the door from the get-go, and so it's a very large amount that is that is paid out. But that's something that can that can be done in most cases where there are assets. Okay, if uh, you know if you've got something where really there are primarily debts you know, that can be more difficult, but you can still, you know, the court can still order somebody to pay, uh, you know, to pay attorney's fees off of another party's card, credit card. You know, that, that happens all the time, too. Right. So, and the, you don't need a justification. It doesn't need to be this person, you know, beat the crap out of me to get interim fees. It's not, I think most people think that um, it's got to be a family violence situation for that to be possible. No, yeah, and that's not the case. I mean, the the issue is showing a need so you know let's say that and it doesn't it doesn't matter the amount of time that you've been married either technically uh you know i mean it's a little different if you've been married you know five years versus one year or 25 years you know it's it's a little different there but if you're showing say that you know say i've been married to someone for 10 years and i'm a stay-at-home dad and we've got three kids and you know my wife is out making you know, a, a boatload of money, and I need to get a, you know, need or want to get a divorce. Um, you know, if I can show that I don't have access to funds, which is, you know, credit cards or access to bank accounts or things like that, and I can identify, hey, we've got $100,000 sitting in, in this savings account, uh, you know, that is in my wife's name, you know, I can get an order from the court to disperse some of those monies. So that's that's what that is based on. Where people start thinking about the family violence thing, um, that is a situation where people can can end up qualifying for spousal maintenance as compared to situations where they would not otherwise qualify, and it can be for an unlimited period of time. So that's where those are those are very different. That's and frankly, that's kind of one of the problems that you run into in the the internet age, so to speak. That you know, people Google things and they think because they see it on the internet that it's true, and um, you know, <laughs> and that is rarely the case. You might have bits and pieces that are accurate, but typically those bits and pieces are melded with other bits and pieces that are not. Right. Well, you know, and when we talk about things that people find in the internet age and find online, um, you know what information you find on a website and a blog article these are just general 30,000 foot view uh, type stuff the idea is you know talk to your experienced family law attorney and you know get the details because it has all of these families as every person is unique their family is unique their divorce is unique so you you know everything that you do read and find is all general information and in law the general rule may be x but there are exceptions of Y, Z, B, H, and everything else. So um, it's you know you you can learn the foundational information, but for what how it matters to you, that's why it's so important to talk to a good, experienced family law attorney. Which brings us to our next point of finding someone you know, like, or trust. I don't know how many times I've seen clients and attorneys that just seem mismatched and they don't see eye to eye, they don't get along, and it may not be your fault, it may not be their fault, it's just, but it's a match. And when people put their time and resources into a divorce, there's an emotional as well as a mental investment that goes on. Um, so how do people go about finding someone, especially if they don't know a lot of lawyers? Well, I mean, they're, 
you know, there are certain places that you can that you can obviously you can Google some stuff. Uh, another great place to go is I would say Super Lawyers. You know, you could also go to uh, tbls.org, which is the uh, Texas Board of Legal Specialization. So uh, you want to look for, I think, somebody that is board certified in family law. You know, they're going to have a heightened level of, of expertise or at least somebody that, excuse me, works uh, under the supervision of somebody who is, who is board certified uh, because they're going to, you know, have access to, frankly, to greater knowledge and probably better practice skills uh, than somebody who doesn't. Uh, those sites also, super lawyers, and uh, so tbls.org is the, like I said, the Texas Board of Legal Specialization, and so there you're going to have listed the people that are board certified. Now, if you take that and then you go over to super lawyers as well, you know, you're going to see people that have been picked by their peers as, you know, the top 5% approximately um, in their field. And so, you know, that is, that is something else to, to really look closely at. And so I think those are great starting points. And then when you, when you see those folks, you know, go to their website, see if they are doing a blog or a podcast, or if they've got videos and listen to some of the stuff they see, uh, uh, or to, to some of the stuff they say and see, see if that meshes with, with you, because it really is a personality thing. I mean, you can have, you know, t- the greatest lawyer in the world representing you, but if you don't trust that person, the representation is not going to work. Uh, or if there's just a, a disconnect. I mean, you know, everybody's got certain people that just rub them the wrong way for whatever reason. Um, you know, it might be there <laughs> something as, as, as petty as their manner of dress, or it might be something in, in the manner in which they speak or the cadence in which they speak. You know, so it could be any one of a number of things, but you've got to feel comfortable with that person, and you've got to be able to let go of some things and, and trust them, because uh, if not, it's, it's not going to work at all. Uh, it just, and you're going you're gonna to end up running up fees because you're going to end up having to spend more time going over the same thing kind of ad nauseum um, Whereas if you had a better relationship with the person who is representing you, that is, uh, you know, that probably doesn't happen. You know, trust, like you said, is so important. I was at the dentist yesterday and getting a teeth cleaning, and you really put a lot of trust into the people you hire. Let me tell you, especially when they're, you know, operating and drilling in your mouth with all these things, you're kind of helpless. The same way people sitting in that dentist chair, they feel the same way when they're waiting at home to find out what happened in court, where's my attorney, why aren't they calling me, and one of the most common things, I mean, I remember when I was, you know, right out of law school, I was the one who always took the calls or the, you know, the, you know, the client needs some love because the client says, you know, court was this morning and it ended five minutes ago and I don't know what's happening yet. And now one of the most frequent complaints of attorneys is not, um, you know, not them not calling you back, not being able to communicate and, you know, the, the common, you know, situation where it's like, you know, you're not the only client, there's you know, you, you don't you don't want the lawyer where you're the only client because you're the only income source. That's not good. You sort of want the lawyer who's I think really busy and has a lot of things and is really successful. Um, 
but there's got to it, – it's almost like setting forth. It's almost like dating where you need to um, have that conversation about communication among attorney and client and what's reasonable and how to communicate. Do they like text messages, emails, phone calls, letters? Mark, what do you talk to your clients about when you talk about this? You know, I, I do a couple different things. I mean, you know, most people have uh, – well, my phones are answered 24 you know, 24-7. So if there's an emergency, people have a way to get a hold of me no matter what. An awful lot of people have my cell phone, so uh, I try to impress upon them that having my cell phone number is a privilege and not a right. So if it's an uh, emergency, right, yeah. use it. If it's not, you know, if it, you know, something happens on a Saturday, unless it is, you know, someone got arrested or something, something crazy like that, there's really not anything that I can do until until monday so you know you might want to save some uh, save some time on on that kind so, of stuff. so three but in the morning know, when they're missing some of the bank statements is not a good time to wake you up exactly missing bank statements at uh, 3 a.m on saturday is not not the time to have that discussion um so <laughs> but you know my you know i text with with certain clients uh, i generally try to do what is better for them now i personally you know, am a, a much bigger fan of telephone or email because uh, telephone, you know, you're, you're talking to another person. The email is just easier to keep track of than, uh, uh, than text because at some point I've got to pull it out of uh, text messaging and, and put it into a different document. Um, you know, so, but that's the way that, that I generally do things. I'm also not real, you know, uh, so I'm just not I'm not real regimented about that. I also am a, a big believer in uh you know people people are going through one of the hardest times of their lives when they're dealing with either a divorce or you know some other family law matter. So by all means if you need to get a hold of me, get a hold of me. And so you know I return calls within 24 hours a day within 24 hours of receiving them and usually much more quickly than that. Uh unless I'm, you know, stuck in trial or something. And then if I am, if I'm in trial, you know, somebody with my staff is going to return the call and, and let people know what they can expect on when I will be able to get back in touch with them based on what my scheduling is. Yeah, you know, communicating well is one of the key elements to all relationships, whether that's interpersonal relationships, professional client relationships, Communicating what's happening so important. Can't stress that enough. Let's move on well, to uh, January. I mean, Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Yep. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, one, one thing that is imperative is, you know, your attorney is not going to be a mind reader. So if you've got a question, you need to ask the question. Don't hold back on it because otherwise, you know, we might not know that you've got a question about something that, you know, we may or may not have talked about. So it's real important that you make sure that, you know, don't, don't get concerned about, you know, something being a stupid question or we've talked about this before, but you're a little confused, you know, bring it up so that it can be addressed. Otherwise, you know, you're kind of sitting there uh, just with a question, you know, and that's not, that's not a good situation in, uh, in these scenarios. 
Well, you know, and likewise, you know, the neither side is a mind reader. The attorney doesn't read the mind of the client. The client doesn't read the attorney's mind. So when exactly. things happen, it's important to bring them up, like you said, and, and not so much. I, I remember people always worrying about the bill. Well, I don't want to be billed for the call, or I don't want to be billed for this. But if you don't, if you withhold information, you, you could cause yourself a worse problem in the future. But moving on to January. January is the hot month. Mm -hmm. Uh, February a little bit too, but January a lot of people for a lot of reasons say now is the time to pull the trigger on this. Let's get divorced. Some of the reasons are there's not a lot going on in January. And secondly, we don't have stressful holidays until at least February 14th. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like I mentioned before, I mean, the reason I think you've got such a, a huge jump in January is you know, because of getting the, you know, getting through the holidays and then the kids are back, back in school. It's, it's I think, a little bit more difficult when everybody's under feet in the same place all the, you know, all the time. Now, having said that, another advantage of starting in, in January, if you're going to go down that road, is, you know, you're getting in line, okay? So, you know, the cases that are, you know, cases that if you file something in January, you know, your ability to get a temporary order hearing is going to be, you know, quicker most of the time than something that is filed in late January or in early February or in late February. So, I mean, it's just kind of getting, getting rolling. And so, so the issue is, you know, make sure that you can reserve your place in line, so to speak, to let's say you need a, a temporary order hearing because, you know, you and your spouse are not going to agree on who's going to live in the house and who's going to be taking care of the kids and what the possession schedule is going to be and uh, who's going to be making, you know, medical and dental and orthodontal and psychiatric and psychological decisions for the kid or, or educational decisions or, you know, so you need a full-blown uh, temporary order hearing. And, you know, well, you gotta you want to get that done sooner rather than later because you know if everybody's saying I'm not moving out of the house until the judge tells me to do so well guess what you know that doesn't happen until after a temporary order hearing and when a temporary order hearing happens the judge doesn't bang the gavel and you move out that afternoon that just is not the way it works there is time so the quicker you can move on things, the quicker you can ease the sense of frustration and the uncomfortability in, uh, you know, residing in the same residence with the person that you are divorcing. So those are always, I think, high on the motivator list. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, also being able to plan. People like to plan, and January is a planning month. Um, <clears throat> you know, looking forward to spring, summer events, you know, we look at where the kids' birthdays, where the annual things that families always do, and you can plan ahead for these things. And I always say, allow yourself to do whatever you want. When you're, you know, when you're going in, if you're filing for divorce, this is your divorce here. Or even if the other spouse is the one that's filing and you're the one on the, on the receiving end, you can choose whether you go to those events or not. You might just say, I'm not doing holidays this year. Well, that's always, uh, you know, that is always an option that somebody can say, I'm not do doing holidays. Uh, you just got to see how that plays with, with everybody else. Because, uh, you know, the one thing when you get that you learn very quickly uh, in a divorce scenario, uh, especially when, uh, well, at least when there are kids involved, is that it is not all about you. 
And so, you know, you need to try to figure a way to normalize the, the setting as much as possible for, for the kids because it's hard. You know, that's a, that's a difficult thing for them to go through. Yeah, what about uh, another thing about talking to your spouse before? Um, I mean, we know we touched on this time and time again, but it's always good to, to talk about uh, that decision, whether to let someone know in advance that this is coming down the pike or surprise. Yeah, and that's, that's really a, a case-by-case basis. I mean, that's, that's why consulting with an attorney uh, about stuff is so important. I mean, they're, they're – all kinds of different issues. I mean, there, there are issues with, uh, with, you know, stuff with the kids. There are all kinds of business and financial issues. Uh, you know, until somebody is actually served with a lawsuit or until you file the lawsuit, they're not subject to things that are contained in the standing orders, which is, you know, don't go liquidating, you know, accounts. Don't go moving money around. Uh, don't, you know, delete all your social media history. Don't delete a bunch of emails and text messages and, and things of that sort. So, you know, technically someone is not under an obligation to stop their, you know, routine email cleansing policy that they have uh, at, the, at the office or to, you know, get rid of, of certain things or, you know, they're not being kept from moving that money to the Isle of Man under their own name, you know? So there are a whole lot of things that can come into play. Now, if everything is, you know, above board and, you know, everything's going to be hold hands and sing kumbaya and we're going to walk down this together, that's great. You know, my experience is that that doesn't happen a lot. Um, At least those are typically not the cases that I am hired on. Uh, you know, so it's really a case by case basis, but you, you need to be, you need to be very wary in that scenario because the, the rules have changed. You know, it's not you and your spouse against the world. It is you taking care of you and the kids if they're kids. And that's where, you know, things change. And, and, you know, you cannot expect, um, you know, that your spouse is going to deal fairly with you or is going to be honest. You just can't expect that. If you do, you're setting yourself up. So you, you have to become uh, much more of a pessimist. And that's a shitty thing to say, excuse my French, but it's, it's true. And if you don't, you know, you're really setting yourself up for, <clears throat> for a bad situation. You know, especially I think about the people who have – been in the 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 lesser position of power and influence and control during the marriage and if you go and approach your spouse before you've talked to a lawyer before you've had things set up there's a higher chance they may try to talk you out of it um tell you to go see your priest or pastor or someone or talk to a family member and try to pull all the stops out to prevent this from happening and say oh no let's go do some marriage counseling, let's go talk to a mental health person, and you may be all ready to go and file for divorce, but then you're talked out of it and you're pushed into a corner, whereas if you had gone and talked to your family law attorney, you could have discussed this already and what happens in that event and how do you, how do you act. Yeah, and I mean, that's, you know, I think that is, that is one reason to, uh, to talk to a lawyer. Uh, 
making the decision to pull the trigger on a divorce is difficult. Okay. Uh, you know, I've been through it personally as well. You know, I had to kind of satisfy, um, the what ifs for me to make sure that, uh, it was the right thing for me to do. And it was, um, but it wasn't a quick process for me. Now, you know, everybody's different in, in how they go about that. So if there's a chance of, of saving the marriage, if that is something you want to do and the other, you know, your, your spouse is talking about, uh, reconciliation or at least attempting some, um, uh, some counseling. I've got no problem with that, but you need to go into it with your eyes open because what we were just talking about, uh, you know, still is in play. So if you're planning on getting divorced and you talk to the person there, no, let's try to do this. Is it sincere? Is there a sincere desire by the other person to really want to try to work through things? Or is this a stalling, uh, uh, stalling method where they can get their ducks in a row? That's where I have a concern is you want to make sure you are as prepared as you can be uh, when you pull the trigger. What you don't want to do is if all of a sudden you've got the goods, so to speak, uh, you don't want to give the other person the ability to unring the bell. Absolutely. Another last thing that I wanted to comment on is the concept that anticipation and anxiety over events before you know before they happen sometimes can be much worse than uh, the actual thing you know it's a I'll go back to my dentist example you know you're 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 clenching those stress balls and you know waiting for when is he going to put the needle of novocaine in and then oh it's done before you even realize it happened right yeah there's no question about that i mean you know it's like uh uh, thinking about, you know, the worst things that have ever happened to me only happened between my ears, you know? (laughs) So generally the things that we imagine aren't, aren't, they, they don't turn out the way that we anticipate. So, uh, also I think people get, you know, there's a huge sense of anxiety. And like I said before, in, in making a decision to actually get a divorce. And so that is, you know, that's uncomfortable. Um, but, Generally, my experience has been, and what people tell me is that once you have made that decision to pull the trigger and you basically say, here, and give all this information to your lawyer and you get the process rolling, generally there's a huge relief. And then you've got to understand there's going to be a roller coaster of emotions. You know, there are going to be days where you're going to feel just on top of the world and, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I'm finally doing this. And, you know, I feel fantastic. And then there are other days where you're going to second guess yourself and you're going to feel bad, you know, and it's important to understand that that's just part of the process. But it is, uh, you know, what you find is that over, over time, the, that roller coaster becomes much more of a straight line. You know, there are not the huge peaks and valleys and, uh, you know, that, that stress that you felt, that anxiety begins to dissipate over time. You know, and it can be an empowering process, and especially where, you know, a lot of people got married right out of, um, you know, high school or college and didn't even know themselves yet, you know, much less another person. And as we grow, things change. And, you know, it could be one of the best things that you do because as you free yourself from the burdens that you, you know, put on yourself, you may be able to, you know, go forward and be a, a whole new person you never knew you could be. Well, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge, huge thing. The, the empowerment that can come from 
especially someone that's been in an abusive relationship, whether it's physical or emotional, and, uh, you know, the other person has been a control freak, and so they've been on the receiving end of you're not good enough, and, you know, why didn't you do that? Anyway, all the, you know, all the negative crap that can, that can happen. When, when a person begins to get out from under the thumb of that controlling or abusive person, you know, it's like the, the caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. Absolutely. All right. Well, for those people who want to know how to learn more about shedding that cocoon, spreading your wings and flying, and want to talk to Mark Scroggins. Mark, how do they best be in touch? Okay. Well, you can always call me at our Dallas office at 214-469-3100, or you can get me at the Plano office at 469-626-5220. You can also always uh, shoot me an email at mark at scrogginsfamilylaw.com. All right, as always, it's been my pleasure. And anyone who wants to find out more information, um, go to the website. All sorts of good stuff. There's blogs there, social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow. We try to uh, share all the news of things that's going on in the world of family law uh, because the more people know about the issues, the better they can ask the right questions and Get the good advice and move forward. All right. Thanks, Nick. All right. We'll talk to you all next month. Bye-bye now. Have a great weekend.